WLRN Edition 69, broadcasting in 3, 2, 1. I was born woman, off my knees I will stand for my liberation, sisters rise again. I was born woman, off my knees I will stand for my Greetings, and welcome to the 69th edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, January 6th, 2022. Happy New Year, sisters! This is Emily Ann Lorenzen wishing you a wonderful, woman-centered 2022. This month's edition focuses on taking a look at 2021 and reflecting on women's challenges and achievements during the year. We'll hear an excerpt of an interview Thistle did with Lear Keith, a writer, radical feminist, food activist, and environmentalist who gives Thistle the rundown on what she feels was most significant in the U.S. this last year. After talking with Lear, Thistle spoke with Elizabeth Miller, editor of Spinning and Weaving, a feminist anthology for the 21st century. Elizabeth shares her take on the top stories of 2021, as well as giving us a list of things to look for in 2022. Stay tuned till the very end of the show for Sekhmet Shial's take on the women's movement in 2021 and her hopes and encouragements for 2022. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's Jennifer Billick with her monthly report on the gender industry. Hi all, this is Jennifer Billick reporting from the 11th Hour blog for Women's Liberation Radio News. Today I'd like to address the idea of acting more strategically in our fight against the gender industry. In the now famous book, The Art of War, the author Sun Tzu writes, victorious warriors win first and then go to war, while defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. Women fighting the gender industry have been too long in a defensive position. We've been reacting far more than we have acted deliberately. Not enough of us sit around and strategize effective tactics to win the broader fight we're in, which is literally for the protection of the boundary of our female bodies, not just our rights or our spaces. Fighting from a human rights framework sets our rights against the rights of a corporate illusion. There is no such thing as transgender people. Transgender is an ad campaign, selling us the normalization of body dissociation for profit and social engineering. Many groups fighting the gender industry are still platforming people who appropriate the body of the opposite sex and positioning them as allies within their organizations. Appropriating the body of the opposite sex is the pinnacle of sexual objectification, which women have been fighting against for generations. 
This is a bad tactic for many reasons, not least of which is sending an incoherent double message. People fighting the gender industry often lapse into using the language used by our opponents to deconstruct sex. We say transgender athletes, trans-identifying people, transphobic, when the word transgender is meaningless because it has no stable boundaries. Instead of reframing questions asked of us in interviews or outright rejection of invented words, we answer the questions asked of us, which solidify the corporate illusion being thrust on everyone that there is a subcategory of humans that are not male or female. Instead of listing men's greater physical strength when discussing the issue of men and women's sports, which everyone is already aware of, we might ask, who decided on these changes and why? Why are societies across the world rapidly being changed for a small part of the population who manipulate their sex characteristics with drugs and surgeries? Who is funding these changes and why? Tying the decimation of women's rights to industrial profit can help others understand what is happening. It puts our opponents on the defense, forced to explain the profiteering instead of us explaining why women's rights are important. It is important for all of us fighting the gender industry to ask the right questions instead of answering the wrong ones. This is a skill that takes considered planning. How will we get around using the terms set by our opponents? How will we trip them up? What will force them to engage on our terms instead of allowing ourselves to be led into unproductive conversations? This is what Sun Tzu meant when he wrote, Victorious warriors win first and then go to war. While rights being stripped away are certainly worth getting back, putting them into a broader context would have the greatest impact. Our spaces and our rights are being taken for a reason. Human reproduction, which is predominantly women's role, is being colonized by the corporate state for profit, positioned for a takeover by technology, a means towards engineering humanity to a position that is beyond what is human. Humans at root are a sexually dimorphic species. The bigger picture of profiteering will help engage the broader populace, bringing more people into the fight for reality. When people realize fully what is at stake, that this fight is not about some marginalized group of people, but about the deconstruction of human sex, they will organize and act, and we will win. Thank you for listening. This has been a special report for Women's Liberation Radio News from the 11th Hour blog. Thanks, Jen. Next, we turn to the World News segment for this Thursday, January 6th, 2022 with yours truly. In Bangladesh, a women-only section of a beach was shut down hours after opening. Women have requested a section of the Cox's Bazaar beach to be set aside for themselves, since they felt, quote, shy and insecure in a crowded place. Bangladesh is a conservative and Muslim country. There was a gang rape of a woman on the beach the week prior, which prompted the decision to create a safe space for women. This decision faced backlash on social media, with users calling the sex-segregated space Talabistan, referring to the Taliban in Afghanistan. Women's request for a sex-segregated space was twisted into being radically Islamist and sexist rather than looking at the larger context as to why these women wanted their own space on the beach with their children. In Afghanistan, 
A group of about 30 women gathered in Kabul to protest for women's rights and against the more than 100 extrajudicial killings by the Taliban of those who served the former United States-backed government, the United Nations, Amnesty International, and Human Rights Watch confirm that these allegations are credible. Women's rights continue to dwindle in the country as new guidelines ban women from traveling long distances without being escorted by a close male relative. A protester said, quote, I want to tell the world, tell the Taliban to stop killing. We want freedom, we want justice, we want human rights. Women's rights are human rights. We must defend our rights." Ukraine announced that a wider range of women will need to sign up for the draft. The Ministry of Defense released a list of hundreds of professions that will no longer be exempt from registering for the draft, including accountants, librarians, secretaries, journalists, lawyers, pharmacists, and veterinarians. The women working in these fields will need to pass medical qualifications and be between 18 and 60 years old. This push for the draft comes as more than 122,000 Russian troops line its border with Ukraine. Over a period of 50 years, there have been about 46 million quote-unquote missing females in India. Missing females refers to sex-selective abortions and female infanticides. Prenatal sex determination was criminalized in 1994, but it is ignored. It is estimated in a village outside of Delhi that every third house has aborted a female fetus. In this patriarchal culture, girls are seen as a higher cost due to dowries. Many families will allow the first two pregnancies to evolve naturally. But if the first two are girls, then the third pregnancy must be a boy. This trend crosses class divisions, with a wealthy upper-class family forcing a woman to abort eight times. The mothers can only hope that the future of their daughters will be different and that they can be spared this trauma. In El Salvador, three women who were sentenced to 30 years in prison under strict anti-abortion laws, have been freed. These women had obstetric emergencies, but El Salvador has an absolute law against abortions. There were petitions pending before the Supreme Court to commute the women's sentences, and several celebrities had spoken out. There are at least 14 more women who were in prison following obstetric emergencies. Activists are campaigning against El Salvador's absolute law against abortions. The government of Japan plans to hold monthly meetings with women starting January 2022. These meetings will give women the chance to share input with the government on how the country should be run. Masako Mori is the Prime Minister's advisor of women's participation in society. Mori will travel the country and meet with women to listen to their concerns, particularly those affected by the pandemic, single mothers, farmers, the self-employed, and elderly women who live alone. Japan ranked 120th in the Global Gender Gap Index. There are 64 million women in Japan compared to 61 million men 
but only half of the country's women have jobs, and there is a high pay gap. In China, a proposal has been made to amend the country's Law on the Protection of Women's Rights and Interests. The amendment calls for protections against sex-based discrimination and sexual harassment in the workplace. According to Reuters, quote, under the proposal, any comments with sexual connotations, inappropriate bodily behavior, sexually explicit images, or suggestions of benefits in exchange for sex towards a woman without her consent constitutes sexual harassment, unquote. Employers would be barred from firing or reducing a woman's salary if she were to get married, become pregnant, take maternity leave, or breastfeed in the workplace. The amendment is up for debate, and the implementation timeline is unclear. There have been calls in Greece to add femicide as a separate crime. In December, two women were murdered by their husbands within five days of each other bringing the death toll to 17 women since January 2021. Police narrowly prevented an 18th woman from being killed by her husband when officers broke down the door to a scene of the man holding a knife to the woman's throat. Recent changes to the penal code forbid men to receive lighter sentences by claiming the murder was done as a quote-unquote crime of passion. A spokesperson for human rights and equality said, quote, Femicide has to be recognized as a term and as a crime. We have tabled proposals twice in Parliament, but the government simply refuses to discuss it. Unquote. Cynthia Millen, who officiated USA swimming events for 30 years, resigned amid trans-identified swimmer Leah Thomas dominating the sport since competing against females. He has broken records since joining the University of Pennsylvania team, and in one race, he finished 38 seconds ahead of the nearest competitor. And he has qualified for the NCAA championships. In Millen's resignation letter, she wrote, quote, I told my fellow officials that I can no longer participate in a sport which allows biological men to compete against women. Everything fair about swimming is being destroyed, unquote. Hall of Fame swimming coach Dave Solo has also spoken about the policies the NCAA and the International Olympic Committee have implemented regarding trans-identified athletes. He said that they, quote, compromise all the work that has been done by women athletes, unquote. Former NCAA champion Jerry Chanteau has also spoken out about this issue, and this is what she had to say. Yes, absolutely. But we live in a culture where people are scared. The cancel culture, people lose their livelihoods. Uh, the UPenn women did write a letter and they had to be anonymous because it's scary for them. And what they're risking is their entire livelihoods thereafter. It's people like me who hopefully start a trend to encourage more people to speak up. Anybody that can do anything, this affects all of us. We have mothers and daughters and sisters and aunts. This is a women's issue. If you care about women, you should care about this cause. 
And unfortunately, it's really hard for everyone to speak out right now. And I actually have empathy for their position. Um, I take great responsibility in trying to speak up and do something. And hopefully there will be a wave thereafter. In early December, Mary Jo Walters, gender critical parent of three middle and high school age children, enrolled in the public schools in Madison, Wisconsin, ran for an empty school board seat and was unopposed until trans activists sounded the alarm in the Madison community and another candidate stepped forward who identifies as trans or non-binary. Walters stayed in the race for a week and a half before trans activist slander, threats, and pressure became too great and she was forced to drop out, quote, for the sake of my kids, unquote. Here's a statement WLRN's Thistle Pedersen was able to capture at a recent visit with Miss Walters in Madison. I'm Mary Jo Walters, and I did run for a school board seat for a brief week and a half in Madison, Wisconsin. And it was actually a lot of fun to run around in public gathering signatures and voice my opinions through social media and in the news media. Um, it was fun throughout until my children said no more. So I had to stop running. But what I, the points I wanted to make to your audience are the fact that this run came post Loudon, and it was the first time in Madison, Wisconsin that the sound barrier on this subject was broke. Um, and my hope is that conversations happened in people's homes about teaching trans to children as young as uh, you know six in the Madison schools. My hope is that conversations started to happen around if that was the, a good thing or not. Um, because what happened in Madison, Wisconsin is that trans, I call it teaching trans, teaching trans happened in 2015 with no conversation at all with the community. Um, and so I was seen as an anti-trans candidate. And as I ran, I was unopposed for a week and then the trans activists found a trans person that decided to run against me. So there was a little bit of competition and again, it made the news media. Um, I am encouraging women to run before it's made a hate crime to do so. On December 16th, Anna Slats, a 4W pub author and self-professed Canadian curmudgeon, received a heavily redacted gender-based analysis, or GBA, of the controversial Bill C-16, otherwise known as the Transgender Rights Bill. Anna had submitted the access to information request with the Government of Canada nearly a year ago and was specifically interested in the sections pertaining to rights of female inmates. Upwards of 90% of the GBA was fully redacted, leaving only bits and pieces on a couple of pages capable of actually being read. Point 9 under the section entitled Rationale described gender identity as the quote, deeply felt experience of being a woman or a man or both or neither, unquote. It further adds that gender identity is a, quote, subjective experience, 
and is separate from anatomical and biological characteristics, which determines one's objective sex as female or male. Unquote. Pages 1 through 6, 8 and 10, and 12 through the end of the GBA were all redacted in their entirety. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for Thursday, January 6, 2022. I'm Emily Ann Lorenzen. Share your news stories, announcements, and tips with us by emailing info at womensliberationradionews.com and let us know what's going on. Hey sisters, Jenna here. Before we jump into this month's interviews, we want to acknowledge the death of television icon Betty White at age 99 years, 11 months, and roughly two weeks. White happily entertained America for 80 years. I knew Miss White best as many of my and younger generations do as Rose Nyland on The Golden Girls. When I first started enjoying the show, I was in high school and honestly, Rose annoyed me. She could not possibly be that dumb. Now, 20 years later, from a show that was already 15 years old when I started watching, I've come to truly appreciate Rose. Excuse my cynicism for a moment. After all, I am a Dorothy at heart. I find the world to be a hard place, often filthy, cruel, and always careless. I find people to be a reliable disappointment. Not necessarily my loved ones, but humanity en masse. We must all find our way of not just coping and sustaining here, but thriving. I know Betty White was not literally Rose, but the kindness and generosity she exhibited throughout her life seems to me to be an overlap. The sunshine Betty White radiated, not just in her old age, once all the dues were paid and the work was by and large done, but throughout her life and career is, in my opinion, the key to a happy and fulfilled life. Extend people the benefit of the doubt. Fight for the voiceless. Have some humility. Don't be so self-righteous. Be ever grateful. Stay positive and keep your face toward the light. And now here's one of my favorites, a song I've started my day off with more than once. From the Betty White Show in 1954, It's a Good Day. Betty, thank you for always being a friend. This is how we feel today. It's a good day for singing a song And it's a good day for moving along It's a good day, how can anything go wrong Cause it's a good day from morning till night It's a good day for shining your shoes And it's a good day for losing the blues Everything to gain and nothing to lose It's a good day from morning till night I said to the sun, good morning sun to get going if you're gonna make a showing and you've got the right away it's a good good day for curing your ills and it's a good day for paying your bills so take a deep breath and throw away your pills because it's a good day from morning till night it's a good day from morning till night because it's a good day from morning till night Now we'll hear excerpts of an interview Thistle did with Lear Keith, urban farmer, writer, and radical feminist who lives in the Pacific Northwest. In this clip, 
you'll hear Lier's take on the top events and stories in the U.S. from 2021. The first thing is, I'll, I'll start in the United States because that's where I live. So we got the good and the bad. Uh, and even in each story, there's good and bad, right? Because the first good thing I thought of was, well, we got Kamala Harris as our vice president. And we've never had a woman. And we've never had a woman who was, um, you know, South Asian and, and African-American or a Black American background before. Uh, and this is, you know, we can be cynical about politics and bring our adult minds to this, but I wanna be mindful of all the children that are affected by these things, that it really means something different when you're five years old and when you're 10 years old. You know, the people that you see in positions of power, your framework, your myth that you're gonna live your life by is still being, it's being written, it's being formed when you're that age. And that that's what this is for, I think. This is like the good part, right? This is why I think this is a good thing. And we can talk about the cynical part later, but to look at it from a child's eyes, it makes a huge difference that there's this woman is the second most powerful woman in the country and one of the most powerful people in the world. And there are children who need to see that, you know? And I am reminded of so much from my own girlhood. You know, I, I was born in 1964, I'm 57 years old. And there was so much great feminist stuff just percolating, you know, when I was growing up in the, you know, into the seventies and I, the, I'm going to tell a story here. So um, I'm old enough that I remember Billie Jean King. And I don't know whether you do, Thistle, you're a little younger than me, but Billie Jean King is this incredible tennis star who basically came out of nowhere and really changed the course of women's sports because she was such a powerhouse. She won Wimbledon at age 17 and she went on to win Wimbledon 20 more times. That's how good of a tennis player she was. Mm. And she broke all kinds of records and then all kinds of barriers that were in the way of women's sports and really advocated for women in sports. Like we would not be where we are in terms of women's sports if it hadn't been for her. She was absolutely the spearhead of this. And in 1973, she was challenged, like challenged to a duel publicly by Bobby Riggs, who was an aging tennis star. He was 55, I think at the time. So he was well on the downslope of his career as an athlete, right? And she took him on. She said, I'll do it. And it was very public. The whole thing, it was on national television. 50 million people watched it from their living rooms. And I was one. Um, and I was, I think, nine years old that year. Uh, and I remember sitting there, my, my mom on one side and my little sister on the other side. And we were just like, you have to win. You have to win. Billie Jean, please, please, for all womankind, you have to beat his ass. And she did. She creamed him. It was just no contest at all because she was at the peak of her athletic abilities and he was basically old. What, what was her age at the time? She was in her twenties. And so he was, was 55. Okay. Five. So, you know, and he challenged her. He challenged her very publicly because he said he was very public. He was a quote, a male show in his pig. Women had no place in sports. Uh, they should stay in the kitchen and bake cookies. And it was ridiculous that women thought they could do sports. And that was his perspective. And he was very, you know, out and out about it. And he wasn't going to back down. So he was like, I'll take anyone, anyone, you can, I'll beat you. I don't care who you are. And she rose to the challenge. And it was like a terrifying hour watching that match go on. I was like, please, please don't let her lose. Like all of womankind's going to collapse if she loses. Like so much was riding on that because I was nine years old and it really, really mattered. And then she did it. And I'm telling you, the next day I held my head higher on the way to school. So that was me, but I have a friend who's exactly my age and her name is Ellie. And she grew up in Southern Illinois in this tiny little rural town. And she had the exact same experience sitting there on that couch with her mom going, beat him, beat him, please. She has to win. And then she won. 
And the next day she went to school. She didn't just have her head held high. She did something else. At her school, there were two football fields and a basketball court and then another play field for the boys. So they had like acres to roam upon outside the school during lunch break. And the girls had, I'm not exaggerating, they had a tiny little apron of asphalt right up next to the school door where they could play jump rope if they felt like it and make sure nobody sees your underwear. That's what the girls had in 1973. So those of you who are, you know, half my age, that's what it was like in my lifetime. That's what it was like. So she looked at this. Billie Jean King had just won and proved that women could be athletes. And she said, I've had it. She was nine years old and she hooked arms with her two best friends and they walked out into the middle of the field where the boys were playing and they sat down, they did a sit-in. They were nine years old. Oh, that's awesome. It's great. They were dragged off to the principal's office and it took two hours. The principal called the school superintendent, the superintendent called the lawyer for the school. Um, all these phone calls get you know further and further up this hierarchy, up the chain of command. And it finally ends at literally the attorney general of the state of Illinois who wow. tells rural principal, there's this thing called Title IX that passed last year. It's not legal what you're doing. The girls are allowed to go anywhere they want. And the next day, free Roman girls. And they were allowed <laughs> to play on those fields. And my little friend, nine years old, did that. And she did that because of Billie Jean King. I love so that. No, I can tell you, there were girls who did something on the day that he was sworn in, that she was sworn into office because you see what's possible. And we have to remember that as, as cynical as we are, as much as we know that politics is just a game for the wealthy and all the things we know that are wrong, there are children watching, there are little girls watching, and they know that this matters, right? And some of those girls did something that day. I don't know what, we're not going to hear about it for a decade or two, but I can tell you they did something because that happened in my life, it happened in their lives. So I'm, you know, whatever. I wish I could have celebrated more when she got elected vice president because I knew it was coming, but I did celebrate that part of it because it was pretty cool. And then I don't know if you watched it, but there was that young poet, Amanda Gorman, this amazing, I think she's 22 years old, young black woman who stole the show completely. You can, I'm sure you can watch it on YouTube, but she yeah, yeah, yeah. incredible poem. Oh, I was in mm -hmm. tears by the end of it. So that was just... It was just a great day for that. So, and then we know what happened. Four, four hours after Biden took office, he signed his executive order. So here comes the bad part. Um, he signed the executive order that said that all of the federal uh, agencies had to treat sex as if it's gender identity. So he erased women as a legal class and said that any man who calls himself a woman gets to be a woman. So this applies to schools. It applies to colleges and universities, anybody who takes federal funds. Um, housing and urban development, so battered women, homeless women. It applies to the Federal Bureau of Prisons. So that's it, all the prisons. Um, so now you're talking about some of the most vulnerable women and girls in the world. You've got, you know, little girls in school. Uh, they have no choice but to be there. And now we're putting boys in their bathrooms and their locker rooms. We've got prisons. So we know the women who end up in prison. We know the kind of lives they've had. The vast majority of them are survivors of battering, rape, incest, all of it, prostitution, drugs, um, incredibly vulnerable people. And now they have to share their cells with men. And we know how well that's not going. I'll talk about that later. And then of course, you've got the homeless women and women who need better women shelters. And they also have no safety now. 
So that's what Biden did. Four hours into his presidency, that's what he did. Lyra, can I ask you a question? I know you're not a lawyer, but an executive order on the first day of one's presidency is not the law of the land, right? It's just like a suggestion. It's not, yeah. Okay, it's not the law, particularly, but it does carry a lot of legal weight. It's not illegal for them to do it. I mean, they've been doing executive orders for, you know, 100 years. And the Supreme Court does rule that they're they're basically okay. You can do this. It does not have the force of an actual law, um, but generally speaking, the federal agencies follow executive orders. That's usually how it's done. The president does have that power. Oh um, gosh! Before you get into these, you know, arguments about quote executive overreach, because it's used very politically. And so uh-huh. when the Republicans do it, the Democrats have a fit. And when the Democrats do it, the Republicans get angry. And no matter what they do, a lot of women get angry because both sides hate us. Yeah. But, um, you know, this is a constant thing in politics. It's not even nothing to do with this particular issue, which I know both you and I have a lot of energy about. But um, this is a constant thing. Like, you know, where's the boundary? Uh, we have, you know, three branches of government. It was set up that way for a reason. The checks and balances. Right. We all learned about this in school. And the executive office is, they're supposed to be balanced by Congress and the Supreme Court. So when the president does, does things that really should be done by Congress, you know, it doesn't always sit well and people don't like it. So this is definitely an area where there's a lot of conflict, you know, just in our institutions about this. But having said that, you know, in the here and, here and now, yes, all of his, you know, all of the different federal agencies are doing what they're told. So all of them are, are doing these things that he told them to do. Um, and it's not working out well for women. So, you know, that was the depressing part about that election cycle was knowing that I really wanted to celebrate that we had this great woman as, as our VP finally, but I couldn't really because I knew what was coming. So it was very bittersweet for me to get this far and then realize it was just going to be a disaster for women, no matter what happened. Um, yeah, so I don't know how that played out for you on in January when all that came down, but yeah, yeah. well, I mean, I went to Washington DC to protest it, basically right. that and the Equality Act. And there were, I don't remember, I think it was like 300 women from across the country who gathered in DC to protest it. So that was, that was something. Well, good on you. The protest is always, always makes you feel better at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not alone. We're all angry and we're here. And that's, <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good feeling. Um, so a couple more things from the United States, which are the, the big ones, I think. Um, well, let's see. First we had Texas. Um, so it's called SB8 and it's their big abortion ban. Um, so basically after six weeks and they did a really nasty, terrible, sneaky thing with this law. Any private citizen can sue anyone. This is not actually making abortion quote unquote illegal, strictly speaking, but any private citizen can sue anyone who's involved in helping a woman get an abortion. So your neighbor could sue you if you got, if sue your doctor, um, could sue anybody who drove you to that appointment, could sue a rape crisis counselor who helped you, told you where to get an abortion if you needed one. Um, Anyone who works at those abortion funds that try to help women who don't have money any of those people could get sued and they could get sued by any rando walking down the street who knows about it. Oh, Texas. You're, you know, yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> Nurses who help. Um, and so they basically turned all of us into the Stasi who are just going to 
uh, spy on their neighbors and turn us all into the authorities. And it's ten, a ten thousand dollar. You get ten thousand dollars. It's like a, a bounty essentially for abortion on, on abortion hunters. Abortion about abortion bounty hunters is the, the phrase that I've used because it's a minimum of ten thousand dollars if you turn somebody in. So they've uh, monetized this behavior that we're all going to spy so on each horrible. other. Horrible! It's horrendous. Oh my god! Like, it's just evil. Who would even think of this? Like it's horrible enough. They're denying women health care, but. Are you serious? Our neighbors are going to be turning us in? Like what country is I mean, this? Yeah, that goes above, that goes far beyond, um, you know, women's reproductive rights. That's a whole other like, level of scary. And like, yeah. you even sit on this issue. This should just terrify you that they're turning citizens into this kind of, like I said, the Stasi, into the secret mm -hmm. police against each other. I don't know how anybody can support this. It's horrifying. And six weeks is the cutoff. So, I mean, most women, I think 85% of women don't even know they're pregnant at six weeks. So it's essentially every woman who needs an abortion now is, is gonna be terrified under this. Um, yeah, and then the, the Texas Right to Life group set up a whistleblower site. So you could, you could report these violations if you thought your neighbor had had an abortion, you were allowed to turn her in. Um, so it's just completely horrifying. The providers did appeal to the Supreme Court for an emergency injunction to get this to stop, but the court let the law stand and that does not bode well. And that brings us to the next bad one, which is Mississippi. So this was Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Healthcare. Um, the arguments have already been heard. In 2018, it was a Mississippi state law that it just bans abortion after 15 weeks period. Um, and there's, you know, it's just terrible. It, I don't, this is how they're going to do it. They're just going to chip away until nothing's left. Um, and the oral arguments were heard on December 6th. I know a lot of feminists went and protested. Um, and given that we have a majority now of conservative justices on the Supreme Court, it's not looking good. And I don't, I don't know what comes next. It's, this part is just incredibly depressing to me. So yeah, I don't know. What, what help do you see in all of this? Well, I went out on October 2nd. Again, protest is um, growing amongst women. Women are forming alliances with one another and putting aside differences to unite and stand strong together in the streets. And October 2nd, I think, is a really good example of that, protesting this abortion ban in uh, Texas. And it was organized, the um, national protest was organized by the same group with the same logo that organized the 2017 um, anti-Trump Women's March, you know, when he talked about grabbing a woman by, you know, right. um, and so there was that. And so that was huge, right? I, there were hundreds of thousands, if not millions of women out on the streets in 2017 under that banner. And so that same banner of women, some different organizers, but some consistency created a women's march on October 2nd to protest the abortion ban bill in Texas. And I went out for that here in Wisconsin and we had a woman, adult, human, female, huge banner on the street. And then women went out in Austin, a ton of women and Wolf did an event that yeah, serendipitously that. was yeah. happening in Austin at the same time, which is the capital city of the state um, there. <laughs> and, and so it felt it felt like there was an upsurge and a groundswell because in D.C. the women were out protesting as well. And, you know, I feel like. 
that's the upside, right? That's the silver lining to all of this state repression and horribleness is that it gets so bad that women can't be complacent anymore. They can't ignore it, even in the belly of the beast, America, where we are so privileged and sheltered and whatnot. Women are enraged. And so they're going out on the streets and organizing. And um, so maybe that's the silver lining to it. So then, also in 2020, um, Governor Newsom here in California signed Bill 131. 21. Well, the bill was signed in 2020, but in 2021 it went into effect. So in January, oh, I see. Okay, in yeah, 2020 he became Bill 132, okay. and this is, SB 132 is is the law that is letting men transfer into women's prisons. All they have to say is, I have a quote gender identity that makes me woman or gender fluid or whatever other bizarre name their little micro identities they're coming up with, um, they are allowed to just transfer. So hundreds of men have signed up to transfer. A few hundred have already been put in women's prisons and it's an utter nightmare. It's an utter nightmare for the women. It's terrifying. There have already been rapes. There have been assaults. Uh, women are sleeping in shifts because they can't close their eyes in peace and safety at night. Um, I just want everybody to imagine what it would be like. You are locked in an eight by 10 cell with a man a full-grown, full-size man, especially one who has already been convicted of rape. There are men who are serial sex killers who have been transferred into women's prisons. There is one woman in California in the women's prison. The man who murdered her children has been transferred into her prison. I cannot imagine anything more sadistic than to do that to that woman, right? The only good part about this is that Wolf, the Women's Liberation Front, has uh, filed a lawsuit. It's Chandler versus CDCR. We are challenging this law. Uh, we are asking the court to overturn it um, on the basis of four different things, but basically it completely is, you know, flies in the face of all common sense and every woman, every basic human right that women might have. Um, you can go to the website, the womensliberationfront.org and read and also listen to testimony from some of the women in the prisons where this is happening. It will break your heart. It's just gruesome what the, just the level of terror and fear and the fact that nobody cares, that nobody cares like what is happening to these poor women. Um, and we have a, a wonderful woman ally, Amy Ichikawa, who is herself a formerly incarcerated woman. And she got out of, did her time, she got out and she wanted to form this organization to help other women who were coming out because it's a hard transition to make. A lot of people, they end up back in a bad situation. There's not a lot of resources for, especially for women who get out of prison. So she wanted to help. Now, this, is, this is her survivor call is to help women in the same situation she was in. And it's very noble and very, um, it's a, a very loving thing that she's trying to do. And immediately she set up her group and she was overwhelmed with women calling her and writing to her and saying, there's men coming into the prison. And this was not the work that she wanted to do. It was, she just wanted to help women transition back to a good life on the outside. And she's ended up just having to take this on because no one else will do it. But anyway, one of the stories that she tells and it just, oh, it just kills me. So in the prison, there's, they have the yard. That's the little bit of outside space that they get that they can, where they can go outside every day. And it's, you know, the only chance you get to see the sky and to have some sunshine. And there was a tree in the yard. So that's it. That's what you have is this one tree. And every once in a while, a bird will land on your tree. And I just want you to imagine being that separated from nature that all you had was this one tree and how much that tree would mean to you that there was, you know, you could watch the seasons turn on the tree and it would have 
green leaves and there'd be, you know, some life force there, some living creature that had some freedom and that, you know, I can imagine the sort of spiritual sustenance that I would get from seeing the tree and the occasional bird on the tree. And now the men are coming into the prison and because men are so much more violent and because women's prisons are not set up for the level of violence <laughs> that they know the men will bring, they took the tree down because men will use it as a weapon and they will hide behind it and then, you know, and grab people. punishing the women. The women. They have and no access now. It was the only tree they could see and it's gone. So it was the only birds they ever saw, they're gone. And it's just the spiritual devastation too, on top of everything else. You know, la lucha con, uh, sigue, as they say, um, the struggle continues and it's yes. an ongoing, Always. Um, unfolding, epic journey that we're on and um never surrender never surrender all right lear keith thank you so much this is joe brew and you are listening to wlrn Now we turn to an interview Thistle did with Elizabeth Miller, editor of Spinning and Weaving, a feminist anthology for the 21st century that was published last year. Miss Miller is also a founding member of the Chicago Feminist Salon, a group of women in the Chicago area who meet monthly to perform for each other, discuss feminist organizing, and build sisterhood in the Midwest. Elizabeth talks with Thistle about what she sees as the top feminist stories of 21, but she also lets us know what she thinks is important to work on in 22. I feel like the feminist world right now feels like a pendulum swinging back and forth um, where we make gains, but there's also um, setbacks and women continue to be under siege from both the left and the right. Um, and that continued to be true in 2021. And I think that that's a reflection um, or a continuation of something that's been happening um, throughout feminist history, where every time we make progress or we try to make progress, there's a massive backlash um, from the patriarchy trying to tamp down or re reverse our progress. So, you know, the, the opposition to the suffrage movement went on for 80 years. Um, you know, after World War II, there was... Um, you know, during World War II, women um, took over a lot of jobs, you know, went into the labor market and then were sort of sent home to be housewives in the 1950s after the men returned from the war. Um, after the, the second wave of feminism, um, where we made so many gains, there was a huge backlash with uh, in the 80s and 90s. And after that, with sort of the so-called sex positive movement that pushed pornography and prostitution and BDSM um, and transgenderism. So all these sort of men's rights movement, you know, movements for men's sexual rights were all a huge backlash against the gains that women had tried to make. Um, and ever since Roe v. Wade was, was uh, came down in 1973, of course, there's been a huge backlash ever since trying to get rid of abortion rights. And that's one of the most, um, you know, the biggest threats in the U.S. right now is that um, I'm pretty convinced that the Supreme Court is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, I don't think that they have sort of the integrity to say that they're going to overturn it, but I think they will gut it. 
um, and then say that they didn't overturn it, but they will take all the guts out of it so that um, abortion rights get sent back to the states. And we now have to fight um, in, in every state, in every one of the 50 states, rather than just at the federal level. Um, and so, you know, that's an area where there's a huge, a huge backlash against women's rights to our, to our own bodies. And it's interesting to me how many of the men's rights movements um, are movements against women's right to control our own bodies. I mean, the pushing of total decriminalization of prostitution, um, which there's a movement for that, you know, in many U.S. states, um, the movement to continue to build the pornography industry, the transgender movement that's trying to completely erase the legal existence of women and the ability to even um, state that there are any sex-based rights in the law um, and instead to replace the word sex with gender identity and sex stereotypes um, so that rights are given on the basis of gender identity and sex stereotypes rather than on the basis of sex. Um, that's a huge movement in U.S. law now. Um, the Supreme Court started going down that road a couple of years ago. Congress, you know, has been, the, the Equality Act has been in front of Congress and it's now thankfully stalled in the Senate, which is, which is all the more depressing because the Equality Act is a really excellent act, except that it destroys women's rights. You know, it's, the, it's an act that we've been trying to pass in the U.S. for decades to protect the rights of lesbian and gay people and gender non-conforming people. But now the transgender movement has hijacked it and, um, you know, written it in a way where it would remove sex as a legally existing category in U.S. law and replace it again with gender identity and sex stereotypes, um, which makes the bill into a men's rights bill, basically. And then um, Biden, of course, on his very first day in office in 2021, within about five hours of becoming president, issued an executive order um, demanding or instructing all federal agencies to review all of their regulations and policies um, and make them consistent with the idea of give or, or to make them give rights again on the basis of so-called gender identity and sex stereotypes rather than biological sex, which is the only real thing, you know, the basis on which women have been oppressed through for, for thousands of years and the basis on which we very gradually managed to wrest some rights from the hands of the patriarchy over the last hundred years, that's now being re completely reversed and erased in federal law. Um, so that's sort of a long-winded, I guess, start, you know, starting point for talking about what's happening in the U.S. I mean, and now in Afghanistan, women, since the Taliban has taken over, women have been forbidden to go to school, to go to university, to work, to drive, to leave the home. Right. Because, I mean, they're done because men think that women are inferior, but, but even more basic than that, they're done so that men can control women and so that men can keep all of the resources of society for themselves. And are there any good stories from 21? Some of the trends that I see or saw happening um, in 2021 are, for one thing, just women and men speaking up more, um, people becoming, I definitely noticed 
less fear among the public in speaking out. Um, so just on social media um, and in the public square, I've noticed that people are, are getting much more likely to um, state that the emperor has no clothes. Do you, you know, think that could that. Be, do you think that could be related to J.K. Rowling and how she's come out? I do. I do. I think um, it's related to several, you know, very popular and famous public figures, J.K. Rowling, Dave Chappelle, um, Richard Dawkins, he recently came out as gender critical. He read some of, I think he read, I think he read Kathleen Stock's book, Material Girls, and I think he may have read Helen Joyce's book, Trans, and tweeted that he felt that those books were completely factual and rational, and he agreed with them. Um, and so there are a number of, of people in the public eye who are just sort of saying, look, this is what we see. This is how things are. Um, and Jake, of the three, one of those is a woman, a woman. And of course, she's gotten thousands of rape and death threats. Uh, by contrast, I don't think Dawkins, uh, uh, Dawkins got any backlash. And Dave Chappelle, you know, there were some people who demanded that Netflix cancel his, his uh, show, but they refused to, to their credit. Um, so it's interesting to see how little backlash the men get for saying exactly the same thing that J.K. Rowling got, or that mm -hmm. J.K. Rowling said. Um, but I do think that people like that speaking out is um, emboldening people, mm -hmm. other you know other ordinary people to speak out. And I I like to think that you know the sort of um, tireless. <laughs> uh, work of feminists in, in social media and in the public square at just thousands and thousands of times repeating facts and repeating, you know, men can't turn into women, you know, sex is important. We're discriminated on uh, against on the basis of our biological sex. It's not fair for a swimmer who is, you know, a foot taller than women to compete against women. You know, that when feminists, um, a foot taller and male <laughs> and male, right. A foot yeah. taller and male, right. So he has male bone structure. Uh, men's hearts can process oxygen much more efficiently than women's uh, into the blood. I mean, there's just so many differences. I mean, look at, have you ever seen Michael Phelps in a pool? I mean, he's enormous. Like his body length is, you know, about a third of the length of the pool. That's what <laughs> male swimmers are like, you know, including this Leah Thomas person who's being allowed to compete against female swimmers and um, you know, beating them in races by 38 seconds. <laughs> and I think a lot of people are seeing how unfair that is and how Orwellian and dystopian and just absurd it is. And so I do see a lot more people speaking out. Um, I see a lot more news reporting starting to happen. A few mainstream news outlets are actually reporting accurately on what's happening. Uh, a couple of, I'm looking at my notes and a couple of examples I wrote down were, um, that in May, CBS um, aired a 60 Minutes episode on detransition, um, featuring detransitioners speaking out about um, how terrible their experience was with um, the medical industry um, being, you know, encouraged to mutilate themselves and take cross-sex hormones um, and how, you know, just how bad that was for their bodies and their mental health. And 60 Minutes aired, you know, a fairly even-handed piece about that. Uh, I also noticed the other day, the Daily Mail wrote this very long article um, that was very factual and detailed about Angela Wilde, 
um, who has the Wild Woman Workshop where she uh, makes feminist, sells feminist um, t-shirts and stickers and mugs and things. And the headline of the article is Businesswoman Who Designs Feminist T-Shirts Receives Death Threats. And it was a long article that accurately reported the facts that she makes this feminist merchandise, that she gets constant death threats. Um, and I also noticed that the article used correct language, like feminist and lesbian, <laughs> and didn't call her a turf. Um, oh, yeah. You know, so, so that was heartening. I also noticed that many, many new gender critical and radical feminist organizations are forming. Um, so many that it's hard to keep track, um, but there's like organizations that are, there's a lot of specialized organizations that are doing things like, there's one that tracks all the clinics in the US or maybe even in the world um, that do transitioning of children. Um, there's others that focus on helping parents of children who are transitioning. There are some that are focused on protecting women in prison who are being forced to be housed, locked into cells, you know, very small prison cells with men who claim that they're women. Uh, and by the way, I saw an article come out today that there was a study recently published that um, many men who identify as women in order to get transferred to women's prisons, that as soon as they finish their sentences and leave, prison, they stop identifying as women. There was actually a study in an academic journal that came out recently that showed that. Wow. Um, and so, that it's been going on long enough for them to do a study like that is just, yeah. you know, because I know in 2021, Wolf filed a lawsuit in California against the uh, state of California Department of Corrections, which to me, that's kind of a big story. I, I don't think the mainstream media has really picked it up, but... Um, yeah. That seems like an important thing to do um, to have a legal battle about men being transferred into women's prisons, because I know in the state of California, any man in the prison system can just self-identify as a woman. And they've transferred hundreds since. Um, yeah. In 2021, they transferred hundreds of male prisoners into right. women's prisons. Right. And they're also I believe they're handing out condoms now in the women's prisons. and. There have been rapes um, and, and the women are just terrified. I mean, there's been reporting where they say, you know, we're, we're absolutely terrified. These men are, you know, being predatorial towards us. They're attacking us um, and they want to be protected against this. And then the Radical Notion, um, which is a great feminist journal published in the UK, uh, but it publishes from people all over the world. They, their fall 2021 issue um, included a lot of pieces that focused on the situation in the U.S. Um, regarding the trans movement's incursions on women, women's rights. So there were several um, articles that analyzed the erasure of women in the law, in the, in the United States law through the Equality Act and Biden's executive orders. Um, and Supreme Court decisions. Um, and then there were some roundtables, uh, roundtable interviews in that issue um, of women talking about grassroots feminist organizing in the US. Um, so I thought that was a really great issue. Of Elizabeth Hungerford had a, had a piece in that um, radical yeah, notions. Did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's been a proliferation in 2021 of radical feminist books and literature and articles. Mm -hmm.
for sure. Right, which I think is so important. And I see people recommending them on social media all the time in discussions. And so I think that those are um, bringing these issues to, to the attention of more and more members of the public, mm-hmm. which is really good. The Chicago Public School District um, decided a, a month or so ago to make all bathrooms mix sex. So from kindergarten through 12th grade, there's no longer any girls' bathrooms or boys' bathrooms in the Chicago public schools. Um, so boys can go into any bathroom um, and lie in wait for girls, um, spy on girls, take pictures of girls, install spy cameras, um, which we know you know happens very, very often in, uh, especially in Asia, that seems to be a huge, huge thing in Asia, men putting spy cameras in women's bathrooms. Um, and by allowing, you know, I mean, people, people in response to that say, well, men can always sneak into women's bathrooms, but if you don't have women's bathrooms, it's much, much easier for men to do all of these men and boys to do all of these predatory things. (laughs) The reason that we have separate women's bathrooms is to, as a gatekeeping measure to keep men and boys out. Um, and so that happened and, and a lot of parents were really furious and wrote letters and tweeted at Chicago Public Schools. Um, although I have to say they really didn't um, publicize it much. It was one of, and this is sort of something that the trans movement does, they do things by stealth. So they, they capture a couple of powerful people in an organization or an institution they get them to pass a policy and then they just sort of very quietly institute it. Yeah. And then maybe after they institute it, maybe then, they mm-hmm. mention it, but it's right. already in place. Yeah. That's happened in Madison as well in the public schools. Mm-hmm. So this is just really awful and it, it's just very disturbing. I mean, it's incredibly disturbing to see rights that we fought for a hundred years ago or 120 years ago you know, having women's bathrooms is literally what made it possible for women to participate in the public sphere. (laughs) Women used to be able to not leave their houses because there was nowhere for them to go to the bathroom. Um, And so this is basically, I mean, it's not that different from what's happening in Afghanistan. Women are, you know, slowly but surely being trapped in our houses by, you know, the fact that we can't have any private spaces. I think another thing that's very important is organizing internationally. Uh, We need to do more to connect with feminists all around the world and to um, just let them know about the situations in our countries and find out about the situations in their countries and help each other as much as we can. I mean, one nice example of this is um, Phyllis Chesler, who's um, a feminist writer who's in her 80s now, I think, Uh, who actually lived in Afghanistan, she found out about um, the horrible things that were being done to women in Afghanistan, and especially anyone who had been any kind of a feminist organizer. Um, They were being threatened and killed in some instances. And so she sort of single-handedly started a campaign to get a lot of these women out of Afghanistan and um, got some lawyers to work with her, got a lot of money, you know, got people to donate money and got a number of women out. Um, And so that's a great example of working internationally, you know, to help other women. Um, Social media is actually good for this. Um, And I think, you know, I'm I'm in touch with 
feminist organizations all over the world just through social media. Um, and so that's a way that we can um, organize together. I also think things like the International Philia Conference and the WHRC Weekly Feminist Question Time. Which is now, have, in, now that we're in 2022, it's WDI was uh, um, Women's, Women's Declaration, Declaration International. International. Yeah. Yeah, right. They, they just changed their name to Women's Declaration International. Um, and they have a, this weekly feminist question time where they um, have interviews with women feminists all over the world about the work that they're doing. I think that's a very important uh, kind of kind of initiative. Um, and so I think we need to focus on our own efforts, our own organizing with each other. Uh, I think feminism needs to be more about building women's community and institutions for women. Mm -hmm. um, you know, building our own businesses, our own social media platforms, our own publications, our own communities, um, hiring each other, all of that kind of thing, building women's community socially and economically and in every way. That should be our focus. Well, here, here, a cup of cheer to uh, <laughs> 2022. It's been wonderful to talk with you, Elizabeth. Thank you for giving your rundown. Thanks for having me, Thistle. It's always wonderful to talk to you. This. 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 This is WLRN. 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 Women's Liberation Radio Women's News. Women's Liberation Radio Women's News. Liberation Radio Women's News. Liberation Radio News. was another eventful year for radical feminists and gender-critical women, both in the U.S. and around the world. Here are some highlights of their activism. Gender-critical feminist Jessica Gonzalez started the TERF Collective, a women's activist group based in the United States dedicated to fighting the transgender movement. Women in the TERF Collective carried out a nationwide campaign to raise female awareness of Target's gender identity-based bathroom policy. They planted thousands of flyers in Target stores all over the country, specifically in women's products, citing the fact that Target has seen a 190% increase in males sexually peeping on women in the women's bathroom since deciding to allow men who call themselves women to use the women's bathroom. Turf Collective has grown in size rapidly and has moved on to other paper protests, as Gonzalez calls them creating stickers, flyers, and pamphlets designed to combat transgender ideology and distributing them in public spaces. WLRN's own Thistle Pedersen is a proud member of the TERF Collective. What these women are doing is a clever example of guerrilla consciousness raising. They're reaching women and girls in physical reality and making them more aware. Author J.K. Rowling continued to stand her ground on Twitter where biological sex versus gender identity is concerned. She spoke openly about the innumerable death, rape, and physical assault threats she's received from trans activists and their supporters, and also about a doxing incident she experienced at the hands of three TRAs, posted her home address and pictures of themselves outside the gate. 
She never once apologized for her defense of women's rights and continued to tweet about the threats to women's safety and boundaries that trans activism and gender identity laws pose. Late in the year, she drew attention to the issue of heterosexual male rapists being recorded as women in the British legal system and subsequently serving their prison sentences in women's facilities where they can and do rape and sexually harass female inmates. Rowling is an exceptional example of a woman using her power and privilege to speak up for women's best interests regardless of how much backlash misogynistic men and women react with. We're lucky to have her on our side. Women's Declaration International USA, formerly the Women's Human Rights Campaign, or WHRC, stayed busy throughout 2021. In February, they submitted written testimony in seven different states to support bills defending women's sports from forcible male inclusion on the basis of gender identity. They also contributed supportive testimony for a Utah bill prohibiting pediatric gender transition. In March, they sent a letter to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer condemning the Equality Act's proposed protection of gender identity. Over 1,500 women signed it. WDI USA also submitted testimony opposing the Equality Act because of its gender identity provisions to the Senate Judiciary Committee and received confirmation of its receipt. WDI USA filed FOIA requests in all 50 states to discover how many men identifying as women are currently serving prison sentences in women's facilities and have published their findings on their website. In October, the organization filed an amicus brief in the case of the state of Tennessee versus the Department of Education, a case involving 20 different states suing the Biden administration over their guidance to public schools to allow male students on female sports teams if the males call themselves women. Women protested at the Wee Spa in Los Angeles, California after a female customer confronted staff about a man in the women's locker rooms. That man, Darren Ajim Mirajer, claimed to be a woman. He has a total of six prior felony convictions for indecent exposure, including a 2018 crime in a public pool where he exposed his penis to a girls' high school water polo team in the women's locker room. The fact that so many leftist men, including members of Antifa, showed up to scream at, harass, and physically assault the women protesting the spa's allowance of a male sexual predator in the women's changing room shows us exactly what these men are. Violent, rape apologist, misogynistic, sexist scum, no different than the men of the right wing. The rape and murder of British woman Sarah Everard inspired women across England to show up at vigils and women in London to protest male violence. Feminist group Sisters Uncut, who focused specifically on domestic violence against women, attended one of the protests. Sarah was killed by a police officer who was later convicted of the crimes and sentenced to life in prison. Thousands of women marched across America to protest the Texas abortion ban that eventually made it to the Supreme Court. The turnout in Washington, D.C. was particularly strong. Women protested in October and again in December, each time in front of the Supreme Court. Protesters included women in their 60s and 70s who remembered the passing of Roe v. Wade in 1973 and what life was like for women in America beforehand. The WLRN Collective and Podcast turned five years old in May. This is our 69th podcast episode, 
and we have successfully released an episode every single month since we started. We've interviewed a wide range of amazing women, reported and reflected on the full list of women's issues, and contributed to both direct action and feminist dialogue. We're not slowing down or stopping anytime soon, and we're glad you're here with us. On April 23rd of this year, WLRN will host a special in-person conversation amongst a handful of gender-critical and radical feminist women at the Madison Public Library in Madison, Wisconsin. The event, called Courage Calls to Courage, Feminists Speak in Solidarity, includes Kara Dansky, Lierre Keith, Saba Malik, Jeanette Cooper, and WLRN's Thistle Patterson. You can find more information about the event on our website and social media platforms. Tickets will become available soon. Here's to a radical 2022 that pushes feminism forward. Thanks for listening to WLRN's 69th edition podcast, looking back on significant stories in 2021 and forward to our new year, 2022. WLRN would like to thank our guests this month for sharing their views. Thank you so much, Lear Keith and Elizabeth Miller for speaking with us. Until next time, this is Thistle Pedersen signing off on another WLRN podcast. If you like what you are hearing and would like to donate to the cause of Feminist Community Radio, please visit our WordPress site and click on the Donate button. Check out our merch tab to get a nice gift in exchange for your donation. And if you are interested in joining our team, we are always looking for new volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, post to our Facebook and other social media pages, and do other tasks to keep us moving forward as a collective of media activist women. Thanks for listening. This is April, signing off for now. And I'm Emily Ann. Thanks for tuning in. Next month, we will focus our program on an analysis of fairy tales from a feminist perspective. Our handcrafted podcasts always come out the first Thursday of the month, so look for it on Thursday, February 3rd. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when each podcast, music show, and interviews are released, please sign up for our newsletter at our website, womensliberationradionews.com. Stay strong in the struggle, and thanks for listening. This is Sekhmet Sheowl signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spinster, Overit, and SoundCloud, in addition to our WordPress site. Check out our YouTube channel for interviews and more content. Thanks for listening. And this is Jenna. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender, loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thanks for your support. We would love to hear from you, so please comment, like, and share widely. Fall on
forgot and never brought to mind. Should all the acquaintance be forgot and only?